Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your host, Mike Abadir, and today is Thursday, April 14th, 2022. Excited to have you guys on board today because we got a good show. Got a couple of guests coming up. We're going to be talking a little bit more. We're going to continue with the NFL Draft Series with some of these kind of hidden gems, if you want to call them that. Guys that are flying under the radar, probably going to be in that really late round, round six, round seven, uh, or even maybe even more likely for some of these guys we've talked to, undrafted free agents, just hoping to get that shot to be able to compete for a roster spot. And once you do that, you never know what's going to happen thereafter. We've seen all sorts of undrafted free agents come into the league and make their mark. We're also going to talk to, and, and, and before I move on, we're going to have Shannon Patrick quarterback Bethune Cookman he's going to be joining us we're also going to be joined by the doctor Keeneland Dan Dan Cronin he is a horse racing analyst he is also the brother of UCLA men's basketball coach Mick Cronin so we'll get a little bit of his thoughts on his bros team on the Pac-12 on his beloved Cincinnati Reds but most of all, we're going to be talking Keeneland Racetrack and the Kentucky Derby that is just around the corner. So before we talk a little NFL draft, we're going to kind of weave in and out of baseball throughout this show. Now, I don't, I don't look at the standings really until like at least 10 games have been played. Does, doesn't do anything for me. You know, okay, so you won a series. Okay, you split a series. Okay, you won two series. Whatever. It doesn't give me any indication as to, you know, anything outside of, hey, you're off to a nice start. A couple teams I do want to point out that are off to nice starts are the Colorado Rockies. They're 4-1 and one so far in the challenging and very difficult National League West. So props to them. And a couple of those were on the road, so it's not all course field effect. Uh, they lost their opening game and have won four in a row since then. So, got to give them a little bit of props. How about the Cleveland former Indians Guardians? Have won four out of their six games, but they've done it all on the road. They haven't had their home opener yet. And their run differential is a plus 23. So, liking what Cleveland is doing so far on the baseball front playing on the road and then always worth pointing out how the Oakland A's are so resilient this team has won four games out of their seven after they unloaded or lost their top talent so props to them for coming out of the gates swinging they have the second most runs in the American League so far only second to Cleveland, by the way. So that's kind of the commonality with some, some of these teams that 
not a lot was expected out of them is they're scoring in bunches and, and they're getting some decent pitching along the way. So we'll talk a little bit more about baseball uh, a little bit later on in the show. Definitely want to get into Clayton Kershaw's outing. Man, was that a beauty. He pitched a gem yesterday against the Minnesota Twins. Such a gem that it was a perfect game. And he got yanked. I know it's game one, but let's debate the pros and cons of do you let him get that perfect game? Do you at least give him a shot to get it? Or do you pull him because, hey, it's just April, man. And and it's only one game out of 162. So we'll kind of dissect that a little bit. But we're going to shift our focus right now to our first guest, quarterback. Always fun to talk to quarterbacks, collegiate quarterbacks, NFL draft prospects, or guys that are in the league. They always have a unique perspective from anyone else on the football field. And for full transparency, this is a client of mine. He is entering the 2022 draft. A lot of high expectations. We're hopeful. We're realistic about the chances as well. But I know we're going to make the most out of whatever comes our way. Honored to represent and to now be joined by Shannon Patrick, quarterback Bethune-Cookman, and he'll also walk us through his history and where he's played up until now. Shannon, what's going on, my friend? Uh, Just hanging out. Uh, Glad to be on. Thank you. Yeah, love that you uh, always bring it with enthusiasm and excitement and a lot of energy. You're always honest and upfront about things. And so I think this is going to make for a real nice sit-down discussion here. Let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about you, actually. So give our listeners an idea as to a little bit of your history. Let's go back to high school. What sports did you play? Um, You know, what did you excel at? When was your growth spurt? And all of a sudden, you kind of realized that maybe you could play at the next level to play collegiately, et cetera. Kind of walk us through some of those concepts. Well, uh, growing up uh, in West Palm Beach, Florida, I uh, I played three sports every year. Uh, you know, when the fall comes around, spring comes around, I was switching sports. Uh, football, basketball, baseball is what I played uh, all the way till from about six years old all the way up until high school. Uh, in baseball, I played I played catcher. And uh, in basketball, I played uh, point guard and shooting guard. And in quarter, uh, football, I also played quarterback. But, uh, yeah, all the way up until high school, uh, I slowed down playing baseball, and I kind of just shifted my focus to football and basketball. So I played basketball my freshman year, and then I decided I kind of want to put all my uh, all my focus on, on football. So I kind of, you know, limited myself just playing football my sophomore now, year. Now, that's to fascinating to me, by the way, that you played catcher. You hear a lot of quarterbacks that play shortstop and play shortstop at a pretty high level, like Dan Marino and John Elway and a lot of these guys. They were prized prospects at the shortstop position. And maybe the listeners can correct me if I'm wrong or refresh my memory. I don't really remember any quarterbacks being catchers. What was that like? And and maybe how did playing catcher help you with your quarterbacking? Uh, I feel like playing catcher, uh, you're involved in every play, uh, you know, whether the ball's hit or not. And I feel like it's kind of like being a field general out there. You know, you're, 
whether you chuck it down to second base or, you know, you check throwing it down to third base, you're just trying to keep everybody calm. You kind of got more control. I feel like playing catcher, uh, kind of just figure it out back there. It's kind of, uh, in a way I feel like it kind of just, uh, allows you to just uh, let the game come to you pretty much. Absolutely. What about arm strength? Oh, you got to have arm strength to play catcher. You know, to be able to throw it down to second base while somebody's stealing. So I feel like that also helps helps me uh, as playing quarterback, as far as playing quarterback. And uh, yeah, pretty much all same way throwing down to third base. So uh, for the most part, I feel like playing catcher has a lot a lot to do with playing quarterback, as far as the mental and the, the physical. Yeah, no doubt. So at what point um, were you all like on varsity and starting and all that good stuff? Uh, well, uh, I, I stopped playing baseball when, when I, when I hit high school, uh, but in, in basketball, I played, uh, I played basketball my freshman year and I, I played only a little bit of varsity my freshman year. Uh, so I, I didn't play, uh, multiple sports varsity in, in high school. Okay. But what about football? Football, I played varsity as a freshman, uh, all the way up. Wow. Uh, as a freshman, yeah, as a freshman. And I'm guessing uh, in West Palm Beach, there's a lot of competition. It's not like a, like a little oaky town in the middle of Iowa or something. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, the high school I went to uh, before I got there, uh, they, they didn't win uh, too many games. And then uh, when I finally graduated middle school, went up to high school, uh, my freshman year, they, they started me off on, on junior varsity because I was uh, a little bit smaller. My girl sport really hadn't, hadn't hit like officially yet so i ended up playing uh playing junior varsity and i started and i was the holder on varsity the whole the whole season until junior until junior varsity ended so probably around week seven i started taking over as the starter uh in high school as a on varsity so and after that i played varsity the rest of the way up did you guys win a little bit more when you were uh, under center Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we improved each year from fresh from freshman year when you know I, I just started to play varsity towards the end of the year. We, we won two, one game, I believe, the, the, my freshman year. And then my sophomore year, we went up again to about I think we won three games that year. And then my junior year went up to about four or five games. And then my senior year, I ended up uh, actually transferring to uh, to a different school, and I ended up playing there. And we we won our first district championship there. I mean. It would have been nice to win at the first school I was at, but uh, my senior year, we ended up having a really good year. Uh, won the district ch- championship for the first time in school history, and I ended up really having a great, great senior season. Uh, threw for 3,400 yards. I was the top in the state of Florida in passing, passing yards and touchdowns. I had, I had 52 touchdowns my senior year. I really, I really flourished my senior year. Uh, uh, really, just just because all the pieces ended up uh, fitting in the right at the right time, you know, it was a coaching change that happened, so I ended up transferring from my first school to uh, my my school senior year. So now it sounds like you accomplished a lot in your uh, senior season. You were definitely um, on on the radar, especially once you kind of start getting into like historical passing or or leading a state or things of that nature. Uh, what were some of maybe the drawbacks in terms of being able to get like serious looks from maybe some of the premier schools around the country, collegiately speaking? What were some of the things that you were hearing that um, that maybe were limitations or things that you needed to work on, or or did you hear anything? Uh, 
was it mysterious uh, or or was it kind of where you told things? Uh, I, I was told it was uh, partially my size, you know, being six foot tall. There was some other kids that were a little bit bigger than me, maybe a little bit faster, you know, dual threat quarterbacks, you know, being more of a pocket passer guy. Uh, I felt like that, that might've hurt me, but uh, to be honest, I never really heard a direct answer. You know, uh, like I said, my whole, my whole, like, I didn't say it yet, but my whole career has kind of been a, like an uphill battle, you know, going from high school, like I said, my senior year, having a great year that I had uh, without really getting the recognition from, from the college scouts that kind of uh, forced, forced my hand to end up going to a, a smaller college. So I ended up went, to, I went to an NAIA school and after being there for a year and a half, I kind of decided that uh, kind of wanted to play somewhere a little bit bigger, and I, I didn't want to, you know, finish out my career at a, at a smaller college. So I ended up going to the junior college route, and uh, you know, once again at the junior college route, I ended up having a really good season as well. So uh, and then I only ended up getting one Division One offer after that, and I ended up, I was leading the country in passing in junior college. So I feel like as far as the college scouts uh, kind of overlooking me. Uh, I feel like it had something to do with maybe my height, maybe my my size or uh, my speed. But for the most part, uh, I've been able to, you know, <laughs> put up numbers in, in many different places. But uh, it's always been an uphill battle. I never really knew the, an exact answer, honestly. You know, it's really funny because some of the historically great quarterbacks in the National Football League, how about Drew Brees? Even like Russell Wilson, there are guys who lack that 6'4 type prototype frame that have come in and put up MVPs and Hall of Fame credentials, guys that maybe aren't super fast. How about, you know, just Dan Marino or, or, or Joe Montana, who was a little bit quick footed, but he wasn't like a fast speed burner or anything like that. The commonality, uh, and then and then Tom Brady, of course, you know, probably one of the slower guys in the league, uh, outside of linemen. Even some linemen actually can run faster forties than Tom Brady. The one commonality amongst everybody I just mentioned, all these Hall of Famers or Hall of Fame to be type players, is that they're pocket passers. Do you think right. pocket passers now are? excuse the uh, language here, but kind of getting shit on um, unnecessarily that maybe there's an infatuation with dual threat quarterbacks, um, but that you could definitely still win with pocket passers. What's your take on that? I do feel like there's always going to be a spot in the league for, you know, the the pure passer, the pure thrower. Uh, You know, there are some teams that probably want to go towards the dual threat thing, the dual threat side of uh, the quarterback position. But I feel like it's always going to be a place for the pocket passes, you know, the world, you know, the the Drew Brees, the Peyton Manning, the Tom Brady's. I feel like there's always going to be a place for that. But, you know, the game is kind of shifting a bit. But, you know, you you don't, don't, uh, what's the word on it? You don't uh, fix it if it's not broken. There's a lot of good quarterbacks that, uh, you know, that that have done it that way. And I think there's always going to be a place for them. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, you know, we got a couple of moments here. I wanted to ask you, how is your health right now? I know that you were a little bit limited during your pro day, but as we get creep closer to the draft and then rookie minicamp, give us an update on your uh, current uh, physical fitness, your your health, injuries, etc. 
Well, uh, after my pro day, you know, I, I was able to, you know, get get a full week's rest under me. So uh, I'm, I'm actually feeling a lot better. Uh, I went on went on a run today, actually, and had a little workout today. I'm out in California right now, actually. Uh, yes, I had a good workout today. I had some running in, was throwing. So I, I feel great. You know, I just needed a, a little extra time to get a little rest at uh for that for that injury I had for the pro day. Good. So no no stiffness, no tightness, no pain, nothing. Yeah, no nothing. Feels great. I'm ready to go. Outstanding. Really good to hear that. So before we let you go here, Shannon, why don't you sell me? We're gonna role play. I'm a team general manager. I'm sitting down with you. I'm like, why do you want to? Why would I want to sign you, Shannon? Why are you a fit in the National Football League? In your words, what would your pitch be if a scout were to tune in to this show? If I send a scout, hey, listen to this demeanor. You tell me if he's a leader. Check this out, scout. What would you want to tell them? Well, uh, first off, uh, I've always been the underdog, so I've always got, you know, that fight in me to, you know, push forward. And, you know, regardless of the circumstances that I've been in, I feel like I'm able to help a team win, uh, help an organization win uh, in all the places I've been in my career through high school, all the way up to college. You know, I've been able to, you know, lead my team to championships and uh, comeback victories and, you know, put up stellar numbers uh as for my own statistics, personal statistics, but uh, overall, uh, I feel like I'm a winner, and I feel like I've had a lot of people overlook me for uh, for for pretty much my career, and uh, I feel like when you have that hunger, it kind of never goes away. So I feel like I'm a, a perfect fit for any any team organization that's looking for uh, a hungry winner. That's that's pretty much that's that's what I, that's how I sell myself. There you have it, folks. If you guys out there are fans of just pure pocket passers, you know, guys that maybe have a, the size like a Drew Brees or, or, you know, some of those traditional pocket passers that are able to perform at a high level, pass for a lot of yards. They're not scrambling necessarily. They're not running. They're not, you know, Lamar Jackson ripping off 50-yard touchdowns or anything like that. This is more of the classic prototypical drop-back passer this is an option that's affordable for NFL clubs and really just from a, a persistence leadership perspective, I vouch for Shannon Patrick 100%. Obviously, I'm biased, but I'm biased for a reason because I've gotten to know you for, you know, for months upon months and everything I've heard has been great from you. All the best on the way out here. We got a commercial before we get to the break. Give our listeners how they could follow you on social media, follow your journey to the National Football League. Uh, you want me to give them my uh, my Twitter and Instagram handles? And sure, stuff like that? sure, yeah. Okay, my uh, my Twitter handle is at Shannon Cannon with two underscores, and my Facebook is uh, Shannon Patrick. Shannon, you're off the hot seat, my friend. Thank you so much. God bless. Best of luck. I'm excited for you, rooting for you, my friend. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. There you guys have it. Shannon Patrick, we're going to take a quick commercial timeout, and we're going to come back with the doctor. The doctor is in the house, Keeneland Dan, right after this. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. A big thank you to Shannon Patrick. Really good kid. Rooting for him. Hope that NFL teams are uh, willing to give him a shot because I think they'll like what they see. The guy's a bulldog. He's persistent. He just keeps trucking, man. So you knock him down, he gets up, doesn't even wipe the dirt off. He's back in the huddle ready to roll he's a grinder speaking of grinders sometimes you got to grind it out at the racetrack sometimes you just got to believe in the course trust in the plan as they say and if you trust in dan's plan i promise you you won't regret it because keeneland dan is as good as it gets when it comes to handicapping at keeneland as his name suggests and in the kentucky circuit overall I would trust him really at any racetrack, to be honest with you. But, of course, his backyard, his home turf. Dan Cronin, what is up, my friend? Uh, getting to that time of year, right? Yeah, <laughs> the ba- absolutely. The basketballs are done, at, le- at least for our family. The basketballs are done, and now, uh, now it's time to concentrate on these horses. All right, well, before we leave basketball totally behind, uh, obviously – you follow UCLA very closely. For the listeners who don't know, maybe they heard the last name. They're like, oh, that last name rings a bell. Dan's brother is the head coach of the men's college basketball team at UCLA. Now, just a quick thought. I I thought Arizona had a legitimate shot to get to the finals. 
UCLA played really well. I think they they would have advanced, but they faced maybe the hottest team in the country who really just somehow put it all together in a three-week period. But overall, do you think the Pac-12 underperformed, or does the Pac-12 still have a little ways to go to bridge the gap between them and some of the, you know, the East Coast bias conferences? You know, I I think that UCLA and Arizona were as good as anybody else in the country. USC was a notch below, but but still good enough to compete. You know, with with most of the other you know major schools, major conferences. But after that, there was just a gigantic drop off, and I think it I think it hurt in the tournament. I, I just I really think it hurt. Um, now Arizona, it's hard. you know, when, when your point guard has a sprained ankle that bad, it it messes you up, and and you could tell Arizona just Kerr wasn't right, and I felt bad for him because you could see he wasn't right. So, you know, I guess we can give them a pass for getting beat, you know, that early. You know, where UCLA, I mean, the bottom line is you go as far as your best players carry you. And, you know, our best players were playing great until the last six or seven minutes. And, you know, our best two players went like 0 for 9 and still only got beat on uh, a Hail Mary 3 off of a, off of a fluke rebound that missed the line by a, an inch. Guy dives out of bounds, throws it over the top of his head, and it just happens to land in their best player's hands who just happens to make a 30-footer. So... You know, that's how close you are from playing St. Peter's to go back to the Final Four. And uh, now that was an exciting time to be at that game. Uh, one of my favorite experiences of my life. Uh, I've you know been in a lot of arenas in my life. I actually felt sorry for the Purdue kids because 19,500 people were at a rock concert rooting <laughs> against them. Sure. I've never... I, I mean, I've been in a lot of arenas. I've been at the Centos Center when they're throwing blue paint on you, and I've never experienced that at a tournament where just everybody in Philly in that gigantic arena were rooting for St. Peter's on every possession, every shot, every pass. They were chanting like high school kids, defense, defense. I mean, have you ever been in a 20,000-seat arena where everybody's chanting defense? I mean, Definitely not I, I for a, a neutral site, right? I mean, it's not like they're yeah, on the yeah, road was, playing their arch rival yeah. or something. This is at a neutral site where you're expecting to be able to hear your supporters and your section and your family and stuff. Uh, that's That must have been just a crazy experience to witness it. Yeah, it was. And, and, and what happened was North Carolina fans are sitting there. UCLA fans are sitting there. All the St. Peter's people came over from New Jersey and – Everybody started rooting for him, and it just got contagious. That where by the end of the game, I felt sorry for Purdue. I mean, that building was shaking every time they had the ball. It, it was incredible. They were so scared dribbling the ball to the floor. I was <laughs> like, I would be too, man. This place is. I feel like the Raptors, where you could see the dust flying off the roof. It was crazy. Well, and I don't think so, I don't yeah. think that there I don't think there was any like anti-Purdue sentiment necessarily. But hey, look, let's face it. Anytime you see like a, a 14 or a 15 or a 16 next to a school's name, the natural right. inclination is I'm rooting for David 
to slay Goliath. It's just a right. natural Especially thing. in a Sweet 16. You know, it's Absolutely. one thing in the first round. But, you know, this was Absolutely. a Sweet 16 game. Yeah. So that was you, fun. You, but, you kind of you fall know, in love with, it, with teams like that. Remember, not nearly as uh, ranked poorly or highly. I guess it depends on how you, you phrase it. Uh, they're de- they were the opposite of a low seed. Uh, was when Curry was was in the tournament. It was kind of fun watching Davidson. Right. Yeah, make watch fun. him and they did. I can't remember the point guard's name with Curry, but they were both playing so well. It was it was fun to watch. That's for sure. And yeah, you know, it was sad that UCLA got beat that way. But you know, I we just were not playing great. We were playing good, but we were not playing great. And uh, I think it, it just caught up to us because North Carolina was just playing unconscious and they were getting every single break. And then, you know, when we started missing shots down the stretch, we just couldn't, we couldn't overcome it. And, you know, but the good news is from what I'm hearing, most of the, most of them are back plus Amari Bailey and, and Bona. I mean, they're, they should be top five again next year. So we'll have another shot at it. That's good stuff. It's always nice when you have that opportunity to get everybody back and uh, not get you know pillaged by the NBA or or anything of that nature. So that'll be exciting. We're really rooting for Mick to, um, you know, take this team all the way. Uh, I think uh, any Pac-12 fan, you know, it's either them or Arizona that give you your best hope. I want to see the conference. It's been a, it's been a lengthy drought, my friend. So, uh, hope hope yeah. to see the conference as a whole play better because I totally agree with you. I think what happens is, you know, or if you're in the ACC or, or one of these conferences, there's really no bye week or no bye game. You're, you're facing another team that's talented, that's grinding. There are no breaks. In the Pac-12, I felt that there was a lot of games where you, you could be on cruise control and not play your best game to be able to get that yep. win. And I think the, the the more challenges you have throughout the season, the better. The better quality I competition think hurt, I think it's hurt season, Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. I think yep. it's hurt the top of the Pac-12, and I think it's hurt Gonzaga over the years. You know, it's just, like you said, you can't, you can't have nights off over and over and over. And, heck, they got months off at Gonzaga, and you just yeah. can't. You know, it's hard to turn it back on. It, it just is when you get in the heat of that battle. And, you know, I mean, look at Kansas. I mean, they, they played in the Big 12. You didn't have a night off at all. There was no bad teams in the Big 12. I mean, they had to bring it every single night. And, you know, so when they got down 5, 10, 12, it didn't matter. They, were, they, they knew what to do. They just buckled down and just kept playing. Yeah, no doubt about that. I uh, I think I'm going to have to keep a mental cue for when I'm filling out my bracket next year to really, you know, put at least a star next to the teams that uh, didn't have any any off off nights, uh, you know, during their schedule and, uh, you know, maybe fade some of those teams that were on cruise control. I think Gonzaga is a great example of what we're talking about, Dan. So let's, for the sake of time get to our beloved passion horse racing just a quick word on uh zandon and flavian pratt and the job that they did uh they were barely second favorites 
Uh, I think uh, Smile Happy was 1.9 to 1 here in Equibase, and Zandon was 2.1. So they were almost exactly the same odds. But what, what, what's your impression uh, overall? Well, I don't know how much you know of the story, so I'll tell it real quick. But uh, I've been on Zandon since the day he ran his first race. And so when we went out to Vegas for the UCLA-Gonzaga game, I stood in the lobby and begged every UCLA fan I could find to go bet on Zandon in the winter book. And a bunch of people came back with tickets, and everybody was getting 89 to 1. So wow. we all got 89 to 1, and we were all happy. You know, of course, I said, just put it in your wallet. Don't forget about it when Derby comes around. Hopefully, he just makes it to the race. So, you know, as he's been progressing, gets beat a nose in the Gotham. I've got a bunch of text messages. Ah, I saw your horse ran. I'm like, oh, we just need him to get in the gate. Don't worry about it. Just get him in the gate. So then when he ran in the Risen Star, you know, a couple people were disappointed. I said, don't be disappointed. Epicenter's really good. Smile Happy's really good. It was just a prep race. Don't worry about it. You know, the, we're going to find out how good he is in the bluegrass. And uh, I was all over him in the bluegrass. I I was scared to death on the backside when they were all going by him and Pratt had a big hold. But then once he cut the corner and Pratt started asking, I said, yep, there's the breeding coming out right now. And I think that's what he's going to show in a couple of weeks. I, when they turn for home, he is bred to run all day. He can accelerate on the drop of a dime. And Pratt's one of the two or three best riders on the planet. And I think as long as he gets a good trip, you know, Epicenter better be four or five lengths ahead of him when they turn for home because Zandon will run him down if he's got a fair chance. I'm, I'm very confident Zandon's going to prove to everybody how good he is. Now, for whatever it's worth, Randy Moss, not the football one, the horse racing commentator, he put out an early morning line. I thought it was fair of five to one. Uh, certainly yeah. not 89 to one, much rather have that in my hand than the ticket at five to one. Do you think those are fair odds? Yeah, I do. I do. And, and, and there's a lot of people that got 56 to one in the, uh, first Derby pool in November on the, uh, twin spires, Kentucky Derby, you know, that early wagering pool, he closed at 56 to one. So there's a, there's a lot of people that got that. Um, but yeah, five to one after he just won the bluegrass. With that kind of breeding, you know, even though there is two Bafferts in there, you can call it two Yachtines if you want, but there's two Bafferts in there. And you always got you always got to keep your eye on them for sure. You know, we know over the years, if you throw him out, you're nuts. Um, you know, even when you think he don't have a chance, he's still right on the wire. So, you know, so the two, the, the two horses that are not Bafferts, Zandon and Epicenter, they're probably the two horses to beat. I mean, I, I really believe that. And five to one's fair. You might even get a little higher than that because, you know, there's so many numbers players out there. And and the other thing that comes in is the part of the country bias. When there's a California horse that has just big, big figures like Tabia has, or Tabia, I don't know how you pronounce that. Um, he came on the scene so fast. His two numbers are so high that the, all these people from California are going to see California horse, extraordinary numbers, and they're going to bet that horse. So I think he's going to take a boatload of money, and it would not surprise me if he's not co-second 
uh, with Zandon when they hit when they hit post time around five or six to one. So I, th- I think it's fair. I, I don't think he'll go below that. Epicenter is going to probably be four to one. He'll probably be the favorite at about four to one. Very good. Very excited for the Kentucky Derby just right around the corner for Saturday in May, of course. Let's talk uh, about this Saturday and uh, and this Friday, tomorrow. Let's start with tomorrow and talk Keeneland. Race 9, the Maker's Mile. Now, the one thing I like to always do is just take a look to see the race history, recent history, has it been dominated by one person or not. When I pull up this list, the last six winners in a row have had different trainers. Chad Brown, Cassie, Jerkins, Lynch, Pletcher, Graham Motion. That's from most recent going backwards. And you got Irad Ortiz and Gaffleone and Javier and Leperu and Drayden Van Dyke. So it's one of those races that's highly contested, not dominated by any one individual. Where are we starting with our handicapping for tomorrow's race nine, the Maker's Mile? Well, the first thing I'm going to do, and I may end up with a shoe in my mouth, but I, I want your people to know this. I have 10 rules that I follow, and I've followed them for 20 years, and I adjust them little by little each year. But one steadfast rule that I will not go against is I refuse on the turf and graded stakes at Keeneland to take any horse coming from California. So that eliminates the two-to-one favorite. Eliminates him. I will not use him. I won't put him on one ticket. If he beats me, he beats me. I've been beat three times in about 10 years. They just don't win on the Keeneland grass. And again, smooth like straight may go wire to wire. He may win, but he'll do it without me. I just don't. The the California horses do not like the grass here. It's too wet. It's too deep. Uh, They want that fast, low-cut grass that they can skip across that hard surface like California has. And Keeneland's the opposite. Keeneland is like Europe. They, they, that grass is probably 12 inches deep. You know, you can tell when they put their foot in there, it comes up to their ankles. You know, they don't cut it like that. And it's soggy this time of year. We've had a ton of rain lately. So I think right there, you can really, really get aggressive in this race and pitch the horse that's two to one morning line. I really like a horse named Mason, the four horse with Pratt riding, Chad Brown trained, this horse has never had Lasix, so you don't have to worry about him coming on and off Lasix, which that's a whole different debate. I can't stand that. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's, you know, kowtowing to the, to the politically correct era instead of doing what's right by the horse. But that's a whole different ballgame. This horse has been with Chad Brown now since October when they bought him. Hasn't run yet. But when he was over in Europe, he was running some really, really nice races and he is working up a storm in the morning. And everybody that's associated with Chad Brown's telling me, you better not leave this horse out of your tickets. And he's five to one morning line with Fl- Flavian Pratt. That's who I'm betting on. That's who I like. Do you have time to sit with us uh, through this commercial break and continue the discussion? Yeah. All right. Let's take Absolutely. a quick commercial timeout. We're going to come back. I'm going to ask him about the other Chad Brown in this race. And we'll talk about the two other big races that are going to be coming up this weekend. We're talking to Keeneland Dan. We're going to be back right after this.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at TheMikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. We're back talking to Keeneland Dan. We are discussing the Maker's Mile. Before we move off from that, I was just going to ask you, you know, out here in California, the quote-unquote other Baffert typically uh, comes in probably at the same percentage as the the, the Baffert lower odds horse. Uh, can we see anything like that? You like uh, Chad Brown, number four, Mason, but what about the 11, Irad Ortiz Jr. is the pilot, public sector, 8-1. to one. I'm not sure that bottom line has got the speed, but what say you? Uh, he's a notch below, but, you know, he has, he's never hooked older horses yet. This is his first start against, you know, four-year-olds and up, and that, that sometimes is a huge jump itself. But maybe he's grown up, you know, if he stays eight or 10 to one, I can't argue with anybody throwing him into your tickets. Um, but as far as betting on him from the 11 hole with slow speed figures, I, speed figures are not always the end all be all on the turf. A lot of times it's the trip, but you got to at least be in the same zip code speed numbers wise. And like his, his highest one's a 91. I mean, that that's 10 to 15 lengths too slow. So he's going to have to really, really grow up and get faster to be able to compete. So we'll go from one race nine on Friday to another race nine on Saturday. Talking about the Stone Street Lexington grade three 
post time is going to be at 5.16 Eastern time. It's part of the late pick four, pick five, all that late stuff going on tomorrow. Uh, pretty good race here. Now we see basically three horses that are expected to take a majority of the money. Tawny Port, Brad Cox, and Florent Giroux. Uh, in due time, Paco Lopez at the helm for Kelly Breen. And Major General Ired Ortiz riding for the man, Todd Pletcher. Which of those do you think is the best? Are any of them worthy of building your ticket around? Or are you looking elsewhere yeah, here with some of these prices? No, I, I, I think th- this is why I like this race. I, I think in due time is a real, a real horse, a real animal. Uh, got the perfect post, the proper rest, um, the proper tactical speed to win the Lexington. He might even go wire to wire. And and honestly, I don't like either of the other two at all. Major General has no speed. He's going to be way back, and his numbers are too light. And Tawny Port, I mean, he's run good on the on the uh, Tapita, but on dirt, I mean, he didn't show up at all on the dirt. So I, I, I and I don't like the fact they're bringing him back in basically 14 days. That that's not ideal for a growing up three year old. You know, I, it's just not. I don't like. I don't. I don't like that move, and I don't like the the four ethereal uh, road. Lucas doing that on a weak layoff. It just. It sounds like desperation to try to make the Derby, and it's just. I don't like it. I I, I think in due time, it hasn't run since March fifth is perfect. And if you go back, and I'm a big replay guy, if you go back and watch this replay. I mean, Paco got this horse crushed. You know, I mean, it, it, they turned for home, and it was a bunch of them all stacked up together. And if he'd have got a little bit better trip, he might have won. And and I, I just think he's going to run about a ninety-five to ninety-eight number. He's bred perfectly for this. And you know, Paco's a one of them guys that he'll bull through if he has to. But when you look at the the pace, I mean, your pace thing might tell you something different. But but I'm staring at inside post with no other speed in the race with an aggressive rider that's known to send them to the front he may go wire to wire and never look back i i really like the two in due time he's my okay. single in the pick five and everything oh single worthy okay that's that's good to know the other thing that i think of when i uh, as as you're talking i start thinking okay if we're going to dump the other two uh at least on the win side i'm going to start thinking about building a trifecta and a superfecta ticket who would you include as a uh, as a trifecta package, or even let's just start with an exacta? If we were to hone in a little bit, who are the prices that you think have yeah, a chance? If to I was underneath? betting exactas and tries, I, I would look at the ten and eleven because they're both going to come from way back. The ten hasn't run for a while, but he, you know he went two in a row, then hasn't really run as as good. But when you go from David Cohen to Flavian Pratt. I mean, I don't want to insult David Cohen, but they're in different leagues. And so you're getting one of the best riders on the planet in a race where when they turn for home, there's going to be traffic. And if Pratt can get this horse going and not get him stopped, he could definitely hit the trifecta, and he's going to be 10 or 12 to 1. And then the 11 is probably only going to be 5 or 6 to 1, but, I mean, he showed the same ability to really come flying late. And, you know, he ran in that race with Epicenter, only got beat eight lengths, you know, laid up for a month. And he's he should come running, too, and he's going to be 
probably five or six to one. So I would look to the 10 and 11 if I was betting exactas or tries. Very good. Let's move on to race 10. That is uh, Jetty Wiley. Now, earlier I was talking about how we had six different trainers uh, winning. In this race, it's been dominated by Chad Brown over the years. Uh, small yep. small field tomorrow. Uh, Chad Brown's got a third of the field. Where are you looking in this race? Well, and that's even if the it, I mean the one's probably going to scratch, I would think, um, and run tomorrow in a in an allowance race. Uh, but even if even if they they run her, she's got no chance. So you're you're down to you know five horses can win, and if if they all go. The five and six are both speed, so that's perfect for the Chad Brown horses because Lady Shakespeare and Natralova are going to go flying out of there. They're going to set it up with a good, honest pace. So now you've got Regal Glory's going to sit third right behind them and probably make the first run with Jose Ortiz, who loves to make the first run. And then you've got this horse that I like. I'm going to try to pronounce it Shanta Sarah. Um, this horse is five for nine life with two seconds since she's come to America. She has just been lights out. I mean, she win the QE two last year here and never, never even had to pick up the stick. I mean, didn't even try just jogged home and just went as easy as you could win. And then in Chad Brown, normal fashion, he does this with his three-year-old Phillies. He he's done with them. Then they don't run again. They, he don't send them to the breeders cup. He always wraps them up and then sends them to the farm, lets them grow up, let them gain another 100 pounds, and then get them back in training and get ready for the spring-summer campaign. And so here she is. She's the class over these horses. I think she's going to storm home and win. The only horse I'm afraid of is her barn mate, Regal Glory. So, you know, you could probably lock it up and just take them both, you know, if you're betting doubles or pick threes or pick fours. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna single in due time in the race before I'm gonna probably just use these two and then uh, try to hit the pick three, pick four, and pick five around them because those other races are really tough and I think we can get prices in the other races. But but uh, hey, Chad Brown dominates this race. One of the two Chad Browns is gonna win. It's just gonna be a matter of you know is Shantasara ready off the October layoff? But you get Houdini again. I love Pratt. If you can't tell. You know, I read Ortiz, Pratt, Jose Ortiz, Joel Rosario. To me, those guys are in a different world. And if I can get one of them, I'm completely happy. Now, for me, uh, excuse my dog here. Uh, for, for me, when I trust my own handicapping. And there are some tracks, however, where a local handicapper or just a great handicapper in general impresses me enough and i'm not talking about if i'm going to be spending you know 10 bucks on a, just a real quick play but if i'm allocating a couple hundred bucks and i'm going to make some serious plays out on the west coast at del mar i will spend a few dollars to be able to get an additional resource to supplement my handicapping i'll go with john lindo uh if i'm at in the kentucky circuit especially but several other tracks but since we're talking about keeneland 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 Dan, Fat Bald Guys Racing, is where I will pick up some resources. What do you have? Where can we get them? 
And what is the price tag on it? Because I know it's it's a reasonable, uh, affordable plan that you uh, have out there. Yeah, we, we've got some definite affordable plans. It's fatballguyracing.com, just like it sounds. Um, and we got different plans. We've got one days uh, or 20 bucks, And you get not only my handicapping, but there's five other tracks where i got handicappers all putting out sheets. So you get all that. I always tell them you're paying for me. You get the other guys free. But, you know, if you want to play other tracks, you got something to help you at the other tracks, too. And then we've got, you know, Road to the Derby stuff. But the best deal, frankly, is just you go, you join for the year, and if you're a small player, we'll do as low as thirty bucks a month. The bigger guys, we charge a whole thirty-nine, and when guys are firing half a million dollars, you know, over a course of a year, what's thirty-nine dollars a month nowadays? It's two coffees. You know, I mean, (laughs) you can't even go get you can't even go get McDonald's dinner for four anymore for thirty-nine bucks. But we never raised our prices. We have never, in eight years, we have never raised our price on any of our yearly members. Whatever they signed up for, that's what they pay. We never raise it. Um, you know, and, and we, don't, we don't even really want guys to buy one day because I almost feel bad charging the 20 bucks. But, you know, we, we got to do something. You know? So I, if, if I was a, a handicapper that played, you know, four or five times a month, it's, it's well worth it because it, it's year-round. We don't take months off. You know, we go from the Kentucky circuit over to Saratoga and then back to Keeneland. And, and like you said, I, I, I do all the Kentucky racing. So, you know, I, I really zero in on Kentucky and, and, uh, that's where most of my money goes other than Saratoga too. So um, I'm firing away. Yeah. I highly recommend you guys check it out. Uh, great resource. I personally used your product and uh i've never been unsatisfied we have about 90 seconds or less before we close um you're a baseball fan too what do you think of uh kershaw getting pulled after seven perfect well it's funny you know my i don't know if you know this or not that my dad was a 30-year scout for the atlanta braves and he drafted chipper jones so i've been around baseball my entire life um i played for the midland redskins was drafted in 1988 uh, by the Atlanta Braves in the 50th round. I got drafted a, a round before Mike Piazza. That's my claim to fame. Wow, okay. Uh, so I, I do understand baseball. Um, so we were at lunch today, and my dad looked at me, and he says, he says, what do you think? And the other eight guys at the table, and I, I just kind of smiled, and he looked up, and he told the other eight guys, he goes, I know how this would have went if Dan was pitching. That, 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 that manager would have walked out and said, I'm taking you out. And Dan would have looked at him and said, you better get out of my face or I'm going to punch you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, what's funny about that. And we only have about 20 seconds here. So I'll close by saying this. Kershaw looked a little winded, actually. He may have not yeah, fought it, it. And I think Roberts may have been thinking if he doesn't fight this, I am going to put a, uh, a stop to it because it's just April. Unfortunately, I wish I could wrap with you more about this and so many other things. Thank you so much for joining today. That's all the time we have for today's show, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening and tuning in. Check out Fatball Guy Racing. We will see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.